Hello, everyone, and welcome to Best Thoughts. I'm Will Johns. And I'm Rick Johns. Oh, yeah, and I'm dancing, Will. Dancing. He is... (laughs) He is actually dancing. I am actually (laughs) dancing, everyone. And I'm proud of it. And I'm happy. And I'm only doing it because it's a podcast and you can't see my horrible dancing. (laughs) I could see it and I'll give you the play-by-play here. Um, Actually, it's a good thing you can't see it. Doing the twist. Working it low. (laughs) Hey, I practice what, what we preach, Will. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We, we said that right at the beginning, that we try to put all of these principles into practice. And you're right on it, Rick, because today we are finishing Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection, guidepost number 10, the last one in the book, our last episode on this book, Cultivating Laughter, Song, and Dance letting go of being cool and always in control and and rick i love the fact that you're willing to totally let go of being cool because i'm impressed with your ability to let go and just dance like no one's watching yeah because no one was watching (laughs) so that made it easier but i wouldn't say i let go of being cool i mean i'm a pretty good dancer said no one ever to me but at any rate let me just read (laughs) I'm out of breath let me just read Brene's definition that she came to uh, in this chapter because I loved it it inspired me to dance my way into this podcast and uh, it really hit me because so much of laughter song and dance is tied to our emotional health and I think when we're healthy and happy, these are actually regular kind of parts of our life, even if it is maybe just in the shower or just in the kitchen with our family or something like that. But she said after examining all the data, she found that laughter, song, and dance create emotional and spiritual connection. Now we gotta come back to that, because that's interesting. They remind us of the one thing that truly matters when we are searching for comfort, celebration, inspiration, or even healing, we are not alone. I love that, Rick. And I think these practices matter because they remind us we are not alone, Uh, that we're connected to others, that we're connected to the human family, that we're connected to God. And, And so when we practice this, uh, these principles that may seem irrelevant to our lives in some ways, um, we can find that they are that that profound reminder that we feel deep in our souls that we're not alone, that we're connected. And, and Rick, I've got a story that really speaks to this point. About two weeks ago, my family and I pulled out the old family movies, and uh, we were watching those on a Friday night, and it was so much fun looking back. And and while we were watching, this old family movie comes up, and, and my oldest daughter, Bryn, was about three years old, and, and my son Noah was, was just over one. 
And we have this video of us dancing around our living room. And, and Bryn and Noah are just running around, having the time of their lives. They are laughing. Mm-hmm. They're dancing. They're just having so much fun. And I'm kind of in the middle of it. <laughs> and I'm letting go because I'm with these two little people that could care less how silly I look, how uncool, how ridiculous, uh, how bad of a dancer I am. They don't <laughs> care at all. Like, just the, the more that I'm moving with them, the happier they, they get. And it was just this, this beautiful picture of connection. Yeah. I mean, it's the definition that, that you just read, Rick. And, and I realized how much, how much we can learn from children that age because yeah. there's just no inhibition, uh, there's no fear, uh, there's no self-consciousness. They are just in the moment, in joy, in laughter, yeah. having a blast. You know, what happens? That's the point. But just the observation that I most fully enjoy, you know, laughter, song, and dance, as she says, when I'm at my best, when I'm feeling secure and connected and happy and life is going all right, that's when I kind of crave those things. Yeah, yeah. It's really the health coming out of us, right? Yeah. Like when there's, when we're in a good space, laughter, song, and dance is a way to let that goodness come out of us, to let that health be expressed in some form. And, and I would also say, Rick, it can be a path to health as well. Sometimes when I'm taking myself too seriously, laughter is a great way to kind of reframe my outlook. Yeah. Take myself a little less seriously, take life itself a little less seriously, and, and just find, find a way to laugh. It reminds me, Will, that when we were studying uh, some of the systems theory that we did in our doctoral classes, and Murray Bowen, when he started studying family systems, and he would bring families in and he would study them, and he particularly started with individuals who were experiencing pretty significant mental illness, whether it was some sort of personality disorder or a serious depression, he would find somebody who had this serious illness, and then he would bring in the whole family. And what is fascinating, and I think this is something we all need to make note of, he found without an exception that these families where the mental illness was most severe, they were the strictest, there was the least laughter, they were stern, they Mm. were serious, it's, it's just a direct correlation that in their home, things were very intense, very serious, strict, and the families of these mentally ill people had little laughter, little fun, little play, little humor. And that has, I mean, that's amazing. That has amazing implications for all of us. And, and I don't know how you know, our listeners, what their family experience was. But I think we can see even in our own lives that it was those strict kind of stern environments that really pushed us 
probably the furthest from ourselves, from our mental health, from our emotional stability. And then it was those moments of laughter and singing and dance and fun and play uh, in our homes or with others where we felt most alive and most healthy and most wholehearted. Yeah, and it, I, I think that's such a, a profound point, Rick. And I think it's also a reminder that if this is something that we're wanting to cultivate in our lives, we need to find people that are willing to go to the place of laughter, song, and dance with us. Mm -hmm. uh, the more we spend time with people that are, that are open to laughter, that are not taking themselves too seriously, not taking life too seriously, the more likely you know, we're going to experience the level of health uh, that's being described in this chapter. And I, I totally agree. When I think of, the, of unhealth, I think of deadly seriousness. Yeah. <laughs> People that are so anxious that how you squeeze the toothpaste is a deadly serious matter, you know, and, and that leads to just complete inhibition. Yeah. It leads to complete stifling of our true selves because when you're in the presence of someone who's deadly serious, or if that person is you, um, it's just impossible to relax and be yourself. Right. And the emphasis is on the word deadly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because it is deadly. And, you know, a lot of this book that we're finishing today, a lot of the main core vein that runs through the book is this concept of vulnerability and mm. how health and vulnerability are linked together. And we need to be able to be vulnerable. And it's hard to be vulnerable around someone who is very strict and kind of punitive about very judgmental, very everything has to be perfect, you know, perfectionism. I mean, the whole book is against <laughs> this unhealthy perfectionism that, that destroys others and destroys mm. ourselves. Yeah. And, and we all have a little bit of it, uh, some of us m more of it <laughs> than others. And, and part of why I brought it up, Will, is I think some of us listening might be parents, and we need to take a look at how we parent. I think sometimes yes. I feel like as a parent, my job is to be strict and to get my kids in line and to push them to succeed. And all of that has its place, but it also needs to be balanced with love, affection, play, laughter, time for singing and dancing. If I, if I really want my children to be healthy and to succeed in life. Absolutely. And I think one of the pitfalls that I fall into as a parent is being overly serious. Yeah. And what's counterintuitive is that by supporting play and, and laughter, I actually am more likely to secure my children's cooperation. Yeah. And, and the more serious I am, the more likely I engender a desire on their part to do the opposite. Or to hide, or to put it underground, or to be secretive about it because yes. they fear the consequences, they fear you. Um, I think there's another interesting twist because she mentioned, and this is good, I think, for you and I as pastors, she mentioned the word spiritual about these concepts, that these create spiritual connection. Mm. And I do think there's a lot to be said for that. And in our world today, we really 
undervalue this spiritual connection. In fact, often I'm met with people saying, well, why would I go to church? Okay, I understand some parts of church might be boring. They're boring for me at times, and I'm, I'm the leader. Why would I go to church? I have so many other things to do. Why would I go to church? This is this. Well, where else are you going to sing together? Where else, hopefully, are you going to laugh together? Now, my church doesn't have dancing. Uh, I don't know about that, but we might have socials where there might be some dancing or music or fun or just, you know, letting your hair down a little bit. It's a, it's a place to get together. And to that point, there was some research that uh, really surprised me. There was an organization called Natural Church Development, and they researched over 10,000 churches on all seven continents. And in their research, they asked like 100 questions of people in their congregations, and there was only one question that specifically and directly correlated with the health of the church. Only one question. And you know what that question was, Will? What was it? It was, is there laughter in your church? Wow. Wow. And the higher the church members put on that scale of laughter, the higher they ranked how much laughter was in their church, it directly corresponded with the higher their church rated in health. Wow. Not because laughter made the church healthier necessarily, but laughter probably was an indicator that the health was there. Yes. And you think how much of religion gets serious and strict and stern and here's the rules. And it's no wonder that people want out or teenagers want out. We have to incorporate this idea of being able to laugh, to laugh at ourselves, to recognize we're imperfect and to provide an environment where we can be vulnerable. And mm. that's that's religion gone right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, what what I'm hearing you describe there, Rick, is the attempt at a community, a healthy community of people coming together, a safe place to laugh, to share life together, to share experiences, to sing together, and to you know, sense that, that belonging that, that really does, you know, mean a lot. I mean, I think of as a kid, one of the, some of the best memories that I had were when we would go visit our grandparents who lived in Southern California. And I just remember gathering in their home over Christmas time, my aunts and uncles were there and our cousins were there and and you and I and our parents and and there was just laughter. Yeah. There was game we would play games, we would laugh, we'd tell stories. And it was it was just that that beautiful picture and sense of community. You know? Yeah. yeah. And and so I think I think it's these moments where we feel most fully alive, we feel most fully human. But to, to be in those environments requires a couple of things, and we've already touched on this, Rick, but number one is the intentionality to seek it. Yeah. Uh, if we're so busy trying to achieve the deadly serious uh, objectives of our lives, then we won't have time for it. And then the second thing is the vulnerability to simply show up in these spaces 
and to let go of, of trying to be cool, trying to come across a certain way, letting go of that, that mind, the mind's desire to control my image perfectly. Yeah. Like the true relief and the true joy uh, socially takes place when we show up and, and we're not filtering everything through this carefully crafted image that we've constructed. The relief is when we show up to a social setting and we look around and we say, you know, I'm safe here. If I want to say a joke, I can say a joke. You know, if I want to do something silly, I can do something silly. If I want to just sit back and listen and not talk, I can do that. Yeah. And that's true community. And, and I think all of us uh, would do well to, to recognize where, where are those safe spaces in my life and how do I cultivate more of them? Yeah. You reminded me, Will, of a time where I went out with two of my uh, guy friends, best friends I've had, uh, Sam and Andy, uh, for a long time. And we went out one night, um, got something to eat. And we're at this uh, cool little hip place to eat in uh, a cool little town, which will remain nameless. And uh, they're playing the music. And I look, and there's like a small little dance floor in this restaurant. And I don't think much of it until a really catchy song comes on. And next thing I know, Andy is out there dancing all by himself. Everybody else <laughs> sitting at tables, you know, eating their food. And he's up there in front of the whole world just dancing away like it's nothing. And I just was so blown away because I thought, wow, you know, this guy's got so so much guts to just get out there, just be free and just have fun. And then I said to myself, you know, it's not fair that he's out there just dancing by himself. I admire it. And so I screwed up my courage and I went out there and I am a really horrible dancer. Andy's 10 times better than me. Uh, I hope he never hears this because I hate to admit it. But I just went out there and started being goofy and dancing with him. And it was awesome. It's one of my favorite memories uh, just because he showed me, hey, what are you afraid of? This is a good song. Get out here and dance. We got good food. We're with good friends. Just enjoy it. And it's something very healing and kind of therapeutic about it. And I think the therapeutic part that Brene's getting at is letting go of having to be cool, letting go of always having to be in control. Like that itself is powerful. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I just want to give homework to someone listening. Someone listening needs to get out there and dance. The next time you get a chance and you're standing along the wall and you're saying, well, there's no way I'm going to do it, do it. Because you'll come back after you did that crazy dance or whatever you did and you will be a new person. And maybe that's overstating it a little bit, but I don't think so. There's something literally powerful in using our body to say, hey, I'm okay. I'm free. I can do this. I don't have to carry this constant stress of having to be cool, having to be in control, worrying about what everybody thinks. Just enjoy life. Life's short enough. Just enjoy it. Well, and, and Rick, you reminded me of another piece of Brene's chapter here that that resonated with me, and this is along the same lines, and that is um, using the time in the kitchen as a way to 
express laughter, song, and dance. Uh, and, and I love that because we all have to spend some time in our kitchen. And we're usually doing tasks that aren't that fun. But if we're doing dishes and we put some music on and we're dancing around together as a family, that's just a different experience totally. than seriously doing the dishes <laughs> or grumpily doing the dishes. Angrily. You know? and, and so there are these spaces, these times in the day where we could work in a little bit of this. And, and you've already mentioned, you know, driving down the road can crank up some music while we're, we're in the car. Yeah. And um, I, I still remember this day, uh, you're talking about, you know, your friend Andy kind of giving you that, that permission. My, my good friend Brent, one of, the, one of the things that I always thought was so uh, neat about Brent is that whenever he was driving and listening to music, he would just, he would just let his head bob along to the song. And you could just <laughs> tell that he was into it. It was just subtle, you know, but ever since then, seeing him do that, it's just given me permission. Yeah. So whenever I'm listening to music in the car, I'm just kind of, or, or really anywhere, I just let my body kind of move along to it. And, if, and it's just fun, just something fun to do. It feels like you're more in tune with what you're listening to. Yeah. And, and what is it that wants to hold me back and not do that? That's yeah. my little egoic mind, you know, jumping in there saying, oh, stop, stop, stop. Someone's going to make fun of you. That's not very cool. That's not, you know, it's going to be embarrassing. And it's like, why do I, why do I need to listen to that little voice? You know, and, and I think with the power of your story, Rick, is that if somebody tries this, you'll realize like nothing bad happens. Yeah. Like all this stuff that we're afraid of, that if we kind of let go a little bit, that somehow we'll, we'll have this crushing embarrassment that will ruin our life. It's just not going to happen, you know? Well, and let me say this. I think, number one, we admire someone, especially as adults, who doesn't care, who has the confidence to just, you know, bop around or... Uh, you know, dance or sing or something, or just laugh, you know, a loud, uproarious laugh at something that, you know, we might think, hey, that's a, a little too much laughing there. Don't enjoy it. <laughs> um, so I think secretly we admire that. Now, I will say this. I think there are situations where people who are not okay with themselves, who do not feel free, who put a lot of judgment on themselves and try very hard to be in control and perceived as cool, they may judge you. Yes. yes. They, because they don't feel it's okay, they might be actually angry that you feel it's okay. And I think especially Brene mentioned, and I thought this was uh, definitely true, she said, especially for women, women mm. uh, are judged, I think, more severely. Oh, you're a little too much. And it's very subtle that, uh, and I want to say to all the guys out there, even guys, we can kind of have that chauvinistic thing, like if our guy friend did the same thing, we'd be okay. But a woman, oh no, you know, come on, calm down. Let's not get, you know, too hyper. Let's not sing so loud in the car. And I think we, uh, men especially, should be sensitive that it may take even more courage 
for a woman to kind of let loose and be herself because there's so much of that subtle trying to keep them one down. And we may not even realize it. I think a lot of men don't even realize it, but they kind of make these comments or maybe even as husbands. Our wife might be dancing around the kitchen. We're like, oh, come on, you know, we got to get this done and we got to eat in t- 10 minutes. You know, we can be a real killjoy at yeah. times. We need to start, Rick, with the approach of I've got to look at me. You know, how do I enter into this healthy space? Because when I'm in that relaxed, honest, authentic space that allows me to laugh and to sing and to dance, I am much, much less likely to judge anybody else for being in that space. Exactly. But when I'm in the serious space, then watch out, you know. And and so I think there is, you know, there is a call for some wisdom and discernment here as to where to get started with these practices. And I think we can intuitively know where are the safe spaces to, to start this. And the obvious safe spaces are places where there's already laughter, song, and dance, right? <laughs> yes. We see other people, you know, laughing, relaxed, having a good time. We use that space to maybe push ourselves to go to, to risk a little bit more. We risk telling a joke and maybe no one laughs at it, and that's okay. Yeah. Uh, that, that can happen, you know. Yeah, it happens to you a lot, Will. Yeah, yeah, all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> we enter those spaces and and we see what happens and we trust that, you know, it's going to be okay and then grow from there. Uh, I do not recommend starting in an ultra serious environment and trying to loosen the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was thinking about a pastor friend of mine who brought in a ballroom dancing instructor to his church. And he did a marriage class where they also did ballroom dancing because he said in the dancing, you have to stay in rhythm. You have to connect with each other. You have to learn to lead and learn to follow and learn different things that actually help you in life and help you in your connection, help you in relationship. Plus, as Brene says, that idea of dancing, using your body, it becomes very vulnerable. It's a vulnerable feeling when you're trying to use your body to dance and keep the rhythm and keep in step and do the patterns and make it look good and all these kind of things. But they're all good spiritual things. They're, They're ways to grow spiritually because we need to be vulnerable. We need to be willing to take risk. We need courage. We need compassion. We need connection. These are all things that come out of this very simple kind of basic intuitive thing called dancing, for instance, that is found in every culture in the world. There's no culture on this planet where they don't dance. It's something innate to us. And singing, of course, the same, and laughter laughter also. And Rick, to just kind of bring a a closing word to to today's topic. Uh, we've analyzed this a lot, which is kind of a weird thing to do with laughter and song and dance. <laughs> but I want to close with just a very simple approach to it, which is this is just a more fun way to live. <laughs> yes, this is just fun. Uh, you you should enjoy putting this principle into practice in your life. Uh, if you're not enjoying it, then then uh, I think you've got it wrong in some facet. (laughs) This is just a fun way 
to approach life. And, and so don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. Uh, I just want to challenge our listeners, just go out and put yourself in environments where you feel comfortable enough to just be yourself, to laugh, to sing, to dance, and to just simply enjoy life. Yeah, absolutely. Laughter, singing, dancing, all of us have a need for all three of those things. And we all have a sense of humor. It might be very different for some of us. It might be more gregarious for some of us than others. Our laugh might be louder or softer, but we all have a sense of humor. And we can intentionally say, you know what? I need to tap into that sense of humor more. I need to look for things that are funny. I need to laugh when something is funny. I need to laugh at myself when I take myself too seriously. If I trip on the stair or spill something on myself at lunch, there's something kind of funny about that if I'll, if I'll see the humor in it. I need to sing more. We all like to sing. Maybe my voice is terrible, so maybe I can hum or sing in my head or just tap my toe. And I need to move. I need to use my body to recognize the body stores a lot of these emotional uh, issues and, and things that we're dealing with. And so dancing, uh, tapping your foot, these can all be releases of some of the stress and anxiety that we kind of carry in the body. We can put on our favorite song and relax. We can find friends to do something with. We can sign up for ballroom dancing with our spouse, and maybe it, it's life-changing for our marriage. Mm. We're not, we don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be stuck in a serious, somber, strict, deadly, as you put it, <laughs> deadly way of thinking and deadly way of living. We can bring some spice and effervescence and joy and fun. And guess what? We can raise that level in our homes, in our relationships, if we're intentional about doing that. That's such a beautiful picture you painted there, Rick, of, of what life could look like putting this principle into practice. And, and it's kind of sad for me to say that we have completed the gifts of imperfection by Brene Brown. I don't know about you, Rick, but for me, it's been a, a great journey through this book. Absolutely. And I hope it has been for our listeners. I feel like she really captured 10 beautiful guideposts that we can all improve and live by. And Will, I'm looking forward to season two. Can you tell everyone what the topic is before we leave today? Yeah, we're going to be diving into relationships. And I'm super excited about this. Obviously, a lot that we've talked about in season one does affect the, the way that we relate to one another. And so it does affect our relationships. But we're going to talk more specifically in season two about relationship principles. Uh, one of the pieces of research that's out there shows that the highest predictor of life satisfaction is the quality of your relationships. So this is a hugely important topic if you want to be satisfied with your life, feeling good about your life. So I'm just super excited to, to dive into this in season two. And so I think, um, I think it's going to be a really, really fun journey together. Yeah, Will, I am so excited about season two and talking about relationships as such a hot button topic that we all are interested in and all want to have those quality relationships. 
But for now, we have to conclude season one of Best Thoughts. You've been listening to Best Thoughts with Dr. Will Johns and Dr. Rick Johns. And we look forward to joining with you again in season two 